0: There's this uh, chart that I've found, and it just kind of lists out all the different, I'm I'm looking again specifically of of physical healings this morning. I'm going to spend another Sunday morning talking about some of the signs and wonders that Jesus did as far as, um, as far as walking on water, which one do you need? Okay. Okay. Um, I thought she said he's having a temper, but it was a word that starts with a -A (laughs) D-I-A-P-E-R. We'll look at the signs and wonders. Jesus walking on water, multiplying food, casting out demons. We'll look at that on on another Sunday. But there is a section that I want to talk about in Matthew. um, And maybe you can kind of see in that Matthew column. A lot of the healings kind of happen in Matthew 8 and 9. Right. So there's this passage or there's these chapters in Matthew 8 and 9 where a lot of these healings happen. And and Matthew's trying to do something in this section. He's trying to teach us something. He's trying to instruct us in a certain way. So before he gets to this section, one of the things that's interesting about the book of Matthew is you look, how is this book arranged? Right? We arrange books now with chapters and with subheadings and with refrains and all those sorts of things. How is this book arranged? And one of the things that Matthew does is he uses this verse, which he bookends a certain section um, of his gospel. So on Matthew 4.23, it says that Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Right. And then there's chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8. At the very end of chapter 9, notice what Matthew does is he repeats himself. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. What Matthew's doing here is he's trying to bookend these two sections to kind of to almost section off a portion of his gospel. So then you look like, okay, well, what happens in between these two bookends, right? If you had two, two bookends on a shelf, what are the books? What, what is the subject material that's in it? And you have these two major sections that happen between Matthew 4.23 and Matthew 9.35. You have Jesus as the word Messiah. We talked, Brian, you helped me out a couple of weeks ago, talking about Jesus as the word Messiah. In chapters five through seven, Jesus gives his Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, right? Um, he, 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 he launches his ministry through word. And then in Matthew chapter eight and nine, you have Jesus's 10 miracles, right? Where he does these 10 miracles, Jesus as the, the deed Messiah, you have the teaching Messiah and you have what would be even uh, referred to maybe as the touching Messiah, the Jesus who touches people and heals people. So in chapters eight and nine, again, when you think about healings, when you think about miracles, um, you have a really good picture here in chapter eight and nine of what's going to happen we got a diaper emergency here. Perfect. Thank you. I would charge them. Those are probably like 75 cents, maybe $1.25. Whoo! Back to the regularly scheduled. Pro- I have an intermission section set up in my sermon, but we'll have to skip that because we just had it. So you have this. Do you see how what Matthew's doing? He's trying to bookend these. He's trying to teach us in the middle the word Messiah, the Sermon on the Mount, the deed Messiah. Here's the 10 miracles that Jesus does. Um, He does the healing of a man with leprosy. The healing of a centurion's servant. Uh, He heals Peter's mother-in-law from a fever. You have these two, um, calming the storm and then the healing of a demon-possessed man. Again, I'm going to probably reference these more when when I talk about signs and wonders, not necessarily healings. And then Brian referenced the paralyzed man. He referenced the sick woman. He referenced the, uh, I think he referenced the the dead. There's another one where he hears a dead young man, a dead boy. Then Jesus heals somebody who's blind and somebody who's mute. What I want to do this morning, and and I, you know, I have all these notes and I get so excited and just want to, just want to go through all of them. But again, just kind of like, let's, let's see how Jesus works through these healings. Uh, And we'll, uh, my goal is to get through all 10 of them or eight of them, because I'm not going to do number four and number five. But if, if we do, we do. If not, and the kids get a little anxious out there, then, then we'll just, we'll just kind of wrap it up. One of the things I want to talk about too, um, when, when we think about physical healing, there's like this whole kind of side sermon that I'm not going to get into this morning um, about why maybe we don't see as much healing today, right? About why we don't see those sorts of healings that we did, even in the church, right? And there's kind of this whole side sermon that we could, we could talk about, um, if it's helpful at some points, I I don't just want to kind of explain and relativize everything away, but if it's helpful at some points to think about physical sickness often in the scripture becomes a metaphor for just sin in our lives, right? So sometimes you can think of sin as a sickness and the way that Jesus heals um, the physical aspects in, in kind of a metaphorical way for sin. I don't think that, it's proper to do that exclusively, right? Like that's all that Jesus is trying to do because I do believe in Christians historically and even in this church, we believe as Jesus as a physical healer, right? And we pray for that and we enter into that. But at the same time, um, you can kind of encounter Jesus's teachings or, or have his teachings serve as a metaphor um, for sin when he heals from physical sickness. So, If you got a Bible and you want to follow along, I'm gonna actually just read each passage, and um, I just want to make like a quick comment or two on each passage. And and as I said, we're gonna just kind of get rolling through these chapter eight and chapter nine. Chapter, <clears throat> chapter 8, verse 1. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, right, right after the Sermon on the Mount, <clears throat> large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. He was immediately cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, See that, you don't go, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Anytime I think about Jesus healing someone, the, the first question I always ask, the first question I think that's most important is which way does the power flow, right? Which way does the power flow? Um, so here's, here's my example. This picture is from January 31st, 2019, and this is my little Jeanette, sick as can be, on the couch, fever, she was thrown up, she was, I don't know, runny nose, cough, and whenever you're around, well, whenever someone's sick, you wanna do everything that you can to stay away from them, right? Because what do we believe? We believe that this person is infected has germs, bacteria, whatever it is, and then that is going to flow to you, right? So if you go home today and your spouse gets sick and they get the runny nose and the fever and the cough and they start vomiting and all that sort of stuff, what are you doing? Are you like, oh, honey, let's just go snuggle on the couch or let's just go, you know, hold, like you're like, okay, you go to the room. <laughs> I'll stay away from you because we believe that this, the, the power from the sickness flows into the healthy person, right? Um, Think about someone with an infection, right? Say an infectious skin disease that if you were to touch them would transmit to you. But I would say this, instead of the power of sickness flowing to the healthy person, again, anytime I watch Jesus heal somebody, the power of health flows from Jesus to the sick person, right, and this is, this is almost the good news, right, it's almost the gospel in, in just miniature, the wholeness and healing of Christ flows to us, our sin, our sickness does not infect Christ, right, this is, we'll get to verse 17, but if you wanted to jump ahead and look at verse 17, right, he took upon our iniquities, our infirmities, right, he took our, hit our sickness upon himself, yet that didn't, infect him, right? He was able to overcome that. So anytime I see a healing, which way does the power flow? Is there any sick person that ever infects Jesus? No, it's always Jesus' life, right? Jesus has come to give life and give it abundantly. And that is always the direction of the power flowing, right? Number two, Jesus heals a centurion servant. Let's read this one. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home, paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, Do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. One of the things that's interesting to think about when Jesus heals is that Jesus often heals through words alone, right? Jesus often heals through words alone. And I think about this in almost an echo of the creation narrative. Genesis 1 and 2 in which God speaks creation, he speaks goodness, he speaks beauty and wholeness just out of chaos and out of void, right? Jesus, in the same sense, oftentimes when Jesus heals, is just speaking wholeness to people, right? Words come out of his mouth and people are made whole. Words came out of God's mouth in Genesis 1 and planets, earths, uh, animals, all these things were just created, made whole. It's it's this echo of what, what happens in the creation narrative as Jesus oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes use words alone to heal people. There's also this kind of other side note on this healing. Where did you notice who Jesus healed? Who was it? It was a Roman centurion, right? A Roman centurion, what, what's that? A, a Roman military commander who was in charge of 100 soldiers, right? There's this, again, a whole other sermon here. Jesus is healing the very people. I mean, this, this kind of branch or whatever, it's probably not the exact same people who in just a couple of years are going to kill him, right? And here Jesus is. Healing this this servant of this Roman military official, fascinating little again kind of side note here, but um, something something for us to think about. Jesus healing him with his word. Number three, Peter's mother-in-law. Peter's mother-in-law. <clears throat> Jesus comes into Peter's house. When Jesus came into Peter's house. Um, for us to think about. And, and Brian you actually referenced both of these things in your sermon. You referenced the prophecies about Jesus being the healer. Um, you also referenced. Um, <clears throat> just how much uh, Jesus. He, how much healing Jesus did. But I think that the thing to think about. And we were talking about this during prayer time. Is that sick people matter to Jesus. right? Jesus didn't just come. And kind of bring escapism. Right. Don't worry if you're sick or you're suffering or whatever. Um, you're gonna get heaven when you die. Imagine, imagine like this kind of parallel. Jesus who doesn't heal anybody, who just walks around and says, "Yeah, sorry about that. It's too bad." But you know, um, you know, don't worry, heaven when you die. Thumbs up and just keeps walking on. Jesus walks and touches and speaks and heals and is with those. Um, who are sick? Sick people matter to Jesus. Um, so, so much of Jesus's ministry—it's impossible to read the Gospels without being just absolutely amazed at the healings of real people with real struggles, with real issues of the physical nature. Right? Historical events that Jesus did this. Right? Historical events. That in the New Testament, the apostles did this. Historical events that even in the church today, even though we don't see it often in the West, he's ready for that communion. Go for it, brother. Um, Even though we don't see it often sometimes in the West, that Jesus is still healing people, right? Physically healing people. So this this would have been the, the kind of intermission that I was joking about earlier, right? So Jesus then calms the storm. Jesus then heals a demon-possessed. We'll come back to that. How are we doing? Do a few more? <clears throat> number six? Oh, boy. You all right, buddy? <laughs> that was a, that was almost like a little Jack-Jack fall, wasn't it, where Jack-Jack just goes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, number six. So Jesus, we're in chapter nine now. Jesus is going to heal a paralyzed man. Um <clears throat> Nine, one through seven, Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, "Take heart, son; your sins are forgiven." At some at this, some of the teachers of the law said to him to themselves, "This fellow's blaspheming." Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk. But I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat and go home. The man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such authority to human beings. In this passage, and I think that there's a lot of healings like this, I would say this this teaches us that Jesus deconstructs what's possible, right? Jesus deconstructs what's possible. Oftentimes, Jesus asks people to do exactly the thing they cannot do, that their sickness has prevented them to do. And, and we read this and we know the ending of the story, but imagine sitting there in the crowd not knowing what was going to happen. And think about how potentially offensive or belligerent this would sound that you would be sitting in a crowd of people and you would say to somebody who's, who's, who's paralyzed, hey you, get up and walk, right? Now we know the end of the story and the guy gets up and walks, but imagine going down to, to, to the pier and you see these Christians and there's a, like a homeless guy in a wheelchair, and the Christians are telling the homeless guy, hey, hey, buddy, you get up and walk. And we'd be like, oh, man, that's like, like stop. That's, don't do that. That's not cool, you know? Or somebody who like has some sort of deformity, some sort of shriveled hand, right? And Jesus says to that man, I want you to stretch out your hand, right? Or to somebody who's dead, get up. Or to Lazarus, come out of your grave. Or the woman who's bent over, to stand up straight. All these things, Jesus deconstructs what people think is possible this is this is interesting too I think with this with this particular with this particular healing this is a good one for us maybe to think using that that metaphor of sin as sickness right and in that metaphor of, of sin as sickness when we think about this, oftentimes Jesus is deconstructing what we think is possible. The the, the sin that's plagued us and that's, you know, taken us on and has haunted us and has challenged us, right? And Jesus is saying exactly to that sin, right? You're going to change. Stop being angry, right? Stop being greedy. Stop being jealous. The anxiety, the lust, the greed, the bitterness, the hurt, the pain, the disease that we receive, right? Right? We take that step towards faith, towards Jesus, and then we see the healing happen. Jesus deconstructs what's possible. The famous one, there was a woman back in the, back in the, yeah, this could have been your opportunity. Um, Brian, you'll have to play that at some point. Um, This is is the healing of the woman with blood and then also the raising of the little girl. So this is in uh, Matthew 9, 18 through 26. Um, Jesus was talking about fasting and a synagogue leader came to him and knelt before him and said, my daughter is dying. I'm sorry, my daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him and so did his disciples. Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter. He said, your faith has healed her. And the woman was healed from that very moment. Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw a noisy crowd and people playing pipes. He said, go away. The little girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand, and she got up. News of this spread throughout the whole region. In this, I think we could say that Jesus' healings kind of point to the point, right? The wholeness, the health, and the completion found in the kingdom of heaven. One of my biggest issues, and, and I'm trying to think, knock on whatever wood, I haven't been sick for a while, but one of my biggest issues when I'm personally sick is how many people know you're lying on your bed or couch, whatever, and you're just thinking to yourself, I can't wait till I feel better, right? I can't wait till I'm kind of whole and healthy again. And it almost is like you forget what it's like to be whole or healthy, right? You're so sick, you're like, I don't even remember what it was like to to be able to take a walk or go for a bike ride or function at work, right? Um, And... When you forget that, it it just takes over your whole whole body. This woman was sick for 12 years, right? But then Jesus heals her and makes her whole. And that points to the point is that the wholeness and the health and the completion found in the kingdom of God. And Revelation, this beautiful passage in Revelation, that there will be no more uh, death, mourning, crying, or pain. Sickness. Disease, suffering is an aberration, a blip on the radar of the kingdom of heaven, while wholeness, health, life is the reality of the kingdom of heaven. Tim Keller says it like this. I think this is something really helpful for us to think about. Keller says, We modern people think miracles as the suspension of the natural order, but Jesus meant them to be the restoration of the natural order. The Bible tells us that God did not originally make the world to have disease, hunger, and death in it. Jesus has come to redeem where it is wrong and heal where it is broken. His miracles are not just proofs that he has the power, but also wonderful foretastes to what he is going to do with that power. When we think about sickness, Jesus healing the sickness, one of the things we, we, we understand is that the sickness is just a blip on the radar screen, right? It's, it's not the suspension of the natural order, right? It's the restoration. Jesus is actually restoring the natural order to what it will be like for eternity. Um, let's, do, let's do one or two more. Jesus heals um, the sick, or I'm sorry, the dead girl, right? So same passage, when Jesus heals, you kind of have Jesus going to the synagogue ruler's house and at the very end he heals this dead girl. Um, I think that it's, it's, it's really important here to notice how often, we talked about Jesus healing by word. Here, how often Jesus heals by physically touching someone. One of the defining aspects of Jesus as a healer, when you are sick, Right, And when you're isolated, and when no one is around you or wants to come around you, when no one wants to be in your presence, to know that there is someone who walks into your sickness, and places his hands on you, right, and his touch brings you back to life. Again, think about those, that, that sickness and the isolation that comes with this sickness, and then to know that Jesus in that sickness just walks and touches you and heals you with his touch, right? Jesus' healings often involve physical touch. The two blind men, and then the deaf and the mute. We'll, we'll, wrap, these, we'll wrap these all up. Let me read this, this passage. Uh, Matthew nine twenty seven through 34. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this, but they went out and spread the news about him all over the region. While they were going out, a man who was demon possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, it is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. Again, the book end, right? Here's the end. 35, Jesus went throughout all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, healing every disease, And sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers in the field. So the blind and the mute. um, I think this is important. Jesus, you've probably noticed this that Jesus heals somebody and then he says, Shh. Don't tell anyone, which people have always kind of speculated about why Jesus does this. You know, is it like this reverse psychology that by Jesus, like saying, don't say anything about it. People actually go talk about it. Is Jesus kind of concealing his identity as Messiah until the time is right? Is Jesus not wanting just large crowds to come to him because he has other kind of ministry objectives? Um, is he trying to conceal himself and, and fly under the radar of the Roman government? There's all sorts of reason about why Jesus, you know, kind of tells people to be quiet after his healings. But I think one of the things that it teaches us in our day and age is to be aware of the spectacular and the advertised healers or healings, right? And may, maybe you've seen this, and, and if you've probably been around in, in, in the Christian circles for years, come to this healing service, or this guy's a great healer, um, or, you know, hey, we're going to have this, this big healing, you know, whatever. And, again, Jesus is always, is, is for the most part, really quiet about the way that he does his healings. Bruner says this in his commentary. This is helpful for me to think about when we think about healings in our, in our day and age. Bruner says, <clears throat> The more simple and unostentatious the prayers for healing are, the more authentic they are. The church is rightly suspicious of all spectacular and especially advertised healings. Jesus does not do his work this sensational way as his temptations taught us. Remember in the the desert, he's, he's tempted to go make all of his healings to make his ministry spectacular, right? And Jesus warns us in more than one place in his gospel of Uh, the sanger which is is a cousin word for danger (laughs) it's a typo of the danger of spectacularism of all sorts right so when we think about healings and, and you know I said maybe there's like this kind of side sermon why we don't we don't see a lot of healings in our day or why we don't experience healings. Maybe the real healings that are happening in and around our world are kind of simple, right? Not sensational quiet where people just simply get healed and then they spend their time worshiping God, not going out and like saying, Hey, you know, it's just a simple, unostentatious healing. And that's kind of the healings that we see in in this world. Um, Lastly, Jesus heals a mute man, right? So he heals two blind men and then he heals a mute man. We just, we just read that passage. And I think the last thing that we should learn about healings this morning is that they don't always lead to belief, Right. A lot of times we think of Jesus' miracles. If God just gave me a miracle, then I would believe, right? If God just showed up and, and did this wonderful thing, then I'd believe. But healings don't always lead to belief. Notice at the end of all this passage, right, all these healings that Jesus does, right, all these wonderful things. And we're thinking, wow, Jesus, paralyzed, blind, mute, deaf, dead, woman with blood, right? What happens? What do the Pharisees say? Oh, he's He's working with Satan. It's by the prince of demons that he's driving out demons, right? Healings don't always lead to belief. Um, Tim Keller, again, in, in his book, The Reason for God, he says, the purpose of biblical miracles do not simply lead to cognitive belief, but to worship, to awe, and to wonder. If you wanted to do some, some kind of extra study, go study Jesus's healings and notice the people who afterwards worship God who are amazed who are in wonder Jesus' miracles in particular were never magic tricks designed only to impress or coerce right so at the end we kind of learn that you know even even with all these these healings the the ideal posture that we should have in any healing is praise and worship and awe and wonder right it's not that jesus comes and, and does this thing and then we say oh wow jesus now i believe no 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 we don't don't respond like that respond in worship um yeah i think that's about all i got for this morning the 10 the 10 healings um there he is he looks he looks sneaky right there um Let's just do a few, a few questions, and then uh, yeah, and then, and then we'll, jump, we'll jump back. Brian, I'm just going to go ahead and say that, that I'm going to give you the thumbs up, but I don't know if there are some hard critics out here that are going to give you the thumbs down, so we're going to find out in a little bit. If you had any thoughts or comments or reflections on what Brian was speaking, again, some great notes up here. Uh, what healing took you by surprise in the way that Jesus accomplished it? Was there a word or phrase that Jesus mentioned in one of his healings that spoke to you? As you reflect on this sermon, is there something that stands out to you? Of all the things we've talked about, all the healings, all the words, all those sorts of things, that stands out to you above all? And again, is there someone in your life that is sick, that God is calling you and us as a church to pray for? So. Just turn to the person next to you and just spend a minute or two talking about those, those questions and we'll have some discussion and then we'll do the music.